You are now entering the world of Musings of a Geek Podcast Network. Stay geeky, my friends. Welcome to 40 Going On 14. I am Mike. I'm Seth. I'm Joel. And I'm Josh. And finally, I have a platform with which to talk about my expensive and kind of creepy obsession with little men. <laughs> and here we are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so the, uh, well, before anybody gets confused, we would just like to introduce uh, Seth Johnson. Yeah, a lot of confusing things happen there all at once. <laughs> yes, yes. Josh and his little men, and we have a new voice. Uh, tonight, we actually have Seth Johnson, who is a game designer and writer, uh, has uh, won an Any Gold Award for Best Monster Adver- Adversary Book. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. All right, cool. Uh, and an Origin Award for Best Role-Playing Supplement, and uh, has also the 2013 Industry Guest of Honor at Gen Con. And uh, he's going to be chatting with us this week about miniatures gaming. Because who doesn't like playing on a table with little men? Wait, are we talking about like miniature people gaming or miniature like figures that you use for gaming? Well, I suppose uh, if you can if you can afford to get little people, you can just do it on your lawn. Man, an orc army made out of actual like green painted midgets that'd be expensive. Do they uh, get? Do they get? But uh, majestic, <laughs> riding basset hounds. Through the so, all right, we're getting off. So, um, if I'm ever a billionaire, I'm doing that. I, I gotta say, <laughs> see, it's like one half scale. <laughs> What's a scale? One to one half. Yes. All right. So, um, we are part of the Musings of a Geek Network. Yes, we you will are. never get half a show from the Musings of a Geek Podcast Network. No, you will not. Show. You will get the whole show, and you will get other shows such as Graphic Novice, Sweating the Small Stuff, The Q from Hell, Culture Babble Podcast, and everybody's favorite sports podcast, The Left Field Sports Lounge. Yep, still don't know what they talk about, but I'm I assume assume, it's sportsy. I'm a, yes, it's sports. And uh, uh, iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, and TalkShoe are all places that you can get our shows. Or if you would like to hear us in the uh, waking hours, Geek Life Radio at noon plays our weekly show every Saturday at 12 o'clock. Hey, I just discovered that the Left Field Sports Lounge did a rap battle last week. Really? Oh, no, not last week. It looks like their last show is in March. Okay. Rap battles are awesome either way. Yeah. Um, for anybody, anybody out there, just want to get this out of the way. We know we've been having some issues with our, with our podcast feed. I have been talking to Blueberry and trying to get this all fixed up. My suggestion to everybody out there, unsubscribe and resubscribe has been what I've been told to tell you. So please. And do. if you're hearing this, you probably already figured that out. So tell other people to unsubscribe. <laughs> Random people on the street, go up to them, unsubscribe and resubscribe, and then just walk away. Because that's what we do here. We spread chaos and confusion. <laughs> I thought, Mike, you were doing that sort of like the sign for the blind thing. <laughs> when you're not looking, this sign is in Braille. <laughs> And if you'd like to get in touch with us, 708-NOW-RAP, that's 708-669-9727, uh, at 40go14 at gmail.com, Twitter and Facebook are all places that you can find us. So I suppose True story. Yeah. So I suppose you're wondering, who is this guy, Seth, Seth Johnson, and why is he on the show? 
Did, I'm wondering that. Yep. Did we kill Pat? Oh, wait. No, we haven't killed Pat yet. That may be coming up in August, but... Oh. No, I'm sad. <laughs> so, Seth is actually part of the Titans of Gaming Kickstarter that is going on right now. So, I would like uh, to hand it off to Seth, and he just let us know a little bit about that and uh, where he can find info on it. Uh, the Titans of Gaming is a, a great Kickstarter that's being run by Calliope Games, uh, who asked myself and a, a pretty great lineup of game designers to uh, make a family-friendly game, and they're going to be putting out one game from each of us over the next three to four years. Uh, so they're great game designers you've probably heard of, like uh, Richard Garfield is doing a game, uh, Jordan Weissman and his son Zach, uh, Mike Mulvihill, uh, Paul Peterson, Mike Selinker, Eric Lang, uh, Rob Devio, Mike Elliott. Let's see, who else am I forgetting here? Oh, James Ernest, uh, and then uh, Matt Forbeck and Peggy Brown. So it's a, it's a pretty great lineup of game designers. Yeah, it really does look like it's going to be a great... I mean, it's knowing knowing the games that have already come from everybody, I think this giving them free reign to just make a game is going to turn out good for everybody all around. So, yeah, all right. definitely. There's about, uh, as the time of recording this, there's about two more weeks left in the Kickstarter. So plenty of time to go check it out and uh, see if you want to get on board. Yeah, and uh, I was actually l- just looking at it, and you guys are how close to being funded you are... Oh, almost uh, there, yeah. Uh, yeah, 135, and you are at 126 for thousand dollars with 16 days to go so i think that'll be uh an easy run for you yeah i certainly hope so yeah great to have all the games come up yeah yeah time to start thinking about those stretch goals since uh gaming kickstarters tend to get a big push in the last three or four days well i think that the first kick or the first stretch goal they're doing is uh the kickstarter is for three years worth of games and the first stretch goal adds a fourth year oh so wow you get three additional games from three game designers Oh, cool. cool. Yeah, and I can see that it uh, looks like James Ernest unlocks at 150000 Yeah, and he's been talking over on his blog about the game he's designing for the series, and that's that's one I want to play. So I hope people uh, chip in and push the number up. Oh, man, look at that bomber jacket. Yeah, it looks pretty cool. That's sweet. <laughs> Mike's sold. I'm on. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, so that looks like some great stuff. We know, we know our listeners are gamers because, you know, we hear you. We get the replies from you. Uh, and speaking of replies, any voicemails, Josh? Not this week. Yeah, everyone is hiding or in Charlie's case, plotting. Um, Building a clock tower. It always makes me nervous when we can't, we don't know where Charlie is. <laughs> That's all right. The FBI has him on watch. <clears throat> Uh, no, most of, the, most of our listener feedback uh, this week has been uh, over Twitter. There's been a lot of tweeting back and forth, mostly a three-way conversation between myself, uh, Mike, and Maybellina about various beers that we've been drinking, a kind of uh, adjunct to our booze show from a few months back. Yes, Maybellina is still doing research for the next booze show, and we <laughs> right. appreciate that. <laughs> So, but uh, no, that uh, some of the some of the beers that you've suggested, I have tried, I've liked. Um, still digging on that cider, though. So, I uh, but I skipped over this. I wanted to talk to some more because we Axis and Allies is one of the games that uh, Seth you had said that you had really enjoyed playing in the past, and yeah. uh, we actually were at uh, at what's the word I'm looking for, Josh? A- avid Axis and Allies players when we were in college together. Long oh, that's, yeah. that's awesome. I, I spent my summers growing up working at a summer camp, and I lost one entire summer playing Axis and Allies almost every night. Nice. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, we had uh, so. several several nights were willied away by us playing uh, Axis and Allies, and including one night where the, um, the entire uh, Japanese army got wiped out on turn three. 
That was because yeah, I think he attacked Australia. Yeah, because no. I was yeah that was when uh, yeah Uki was playing Japan. He was mad at me that night for some reason or another, and uh, I was playing Great Britain. I decided, oh, I'll toss a factory in Australia. Who's going to bother Australia? It's World War Two. You know, we got all this going on here, and he turned the entire Japanese fleet to destroy this one factory in Australia. In the meantime, everybody else. That's said, right. Yeah. Hey, Japan's not home. <laughs> Yeah, he didn't bomb Pearl Harbor, which basically meant U.S. ran away. And I was playing Germany at the time, and I got very angry. <laughs> it was the many years after that was, Hirohito can't make war for shit. Yes. Why we go to Australia? Well, it's like you learned nothing from Risk. You never attack Fortress Australia. Oh, yeah. Risk. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my, with risk. Yeah, yeah. Risk, I have an irrational hatred. Like, I think some measure of hatred for risk is rational, but I know I go past that. I, I want to say it's a good 40 60. If you haven't played Risk in a long time, you should definitely check out Risk Legacy, which is I, a lot of fun. That, I that's have actually, heard that. Yeah, Rob Davio, who designed that, is another one of the designers in the Kickstarter, and it's a fantastic game. It, I have nice to, segue. I have to agree with that because it's. I've been playing a game of Risk Legacy for like the last year and a half with some uh, some friends out here, and mm-hmm. the just the abilities. I've been playing the uh, the Desert Warrior tribe that have mm-hmm. oh their ability just to be able to move from one one area to another without them having to be connected has saved my butt in so many games. It's really well, a lot of fun, and, and just having the fun of like actually writing on your board and ripping up cards and putting stickers in the rule book. It's it's. Unlike anything I've ever done in a game. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. We still have that one package that says, do not open this package. Yep. Yep. I haven't opened mine either. Yeah. That's taking, it takes a lot of uh, self-control. So, and Ticket to Ride is another one of your favorites. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. I, my wife and I play that a ton, like uh, enough that we actually sprung for the 10th anniversary edition. Very which nice. Has a, yeah, it has a beautiful giant board and all the little plastic trains are replaced with custom little trains. So one of them is a circus train with little giraffes sticking out the top and oh. it's, it's amazing. Wow. The uh, story of that game, how it uh, bucked a trend in Germany for years and years, any of the Spiel der Jahr winners would basically be contracted with the German version of Walmart and they would be the biggest game in Germany. But uh, the German version of Walmart basically made these demands about pricing and uh, the designers, Days of Wonder, said, no, we're not doing that. Ooh. And uh, buck the trend. They uh, turned down what was probably millions of dollars to not devalue their game by having it sold at big box prices in Europe. Good for them. Oh, yeah. Walmart. Yeah. Well, you know, it, and it is, whoa. And it, it is kind of weird to, to go to uh, Target nowadays and see, um, like, King of Tokyo sitting on the shelves. Yeah. <laughs> so, along Richard with Ticket Garfield yeah. joint. Yeah, and Ticket to Ride also is up there, too. So. Yeah, and I've seen Settlers of Catan, and I've seen Smash Up there. And- uh, Pandemic, I've seen mm-hmm. that there. So, but um, so yeah. Hey, Josh, uh, is it about that time? It is definitely about that time. Yay! This week in music, movies, and TV, and sports. <laughs> well, a little flat there. I don't know what that was. And sports. I can't do it. What the hell? You're really rough, man. All right. So this week in 1990, and the actual week is actually in May. So we're uh, falling back. We're not this actual week in May. Oh, yes. This week, week in May. I'm sorry. I, I blanked out there. I forgot what uh, month we were in. Okay. So music. Uh, well, 1990. I'm sorry. The release of Hero Quest. 
was in 1990, which was another game that really set up the minis thing for me. Uh, love that game. But we're going to get to that later. So, uh, music. Nothing compares to you is uh, Sinead O'Connor's mega-hit cover of a Prince song and is finishing up a four-week run at the top of the charts and is about to be knocked off by Vogue by Madonna. Yes. <laughs> I have nothing to say about that. So, um, I, mean, I, I love that video uh, with her just kind of black and white with the... Uh, well, she was in color, wasn't she? What? In, in living color? Wasn't Sinead in color? In she nothing compares to you? I thought the whole thing was in black and white. Maybe yeah. I'm misremembering. Oh, maybe I'm thinking of nothing compares to me. The follow-up video. Sorry. What? I don't know what that means. Go ahead. I don't, I don't think we're it. talking about the same thing. Um... Movies. Pretty Woman reigns or at the number one uh, at the box. <laughs> that is not what that word says. <laughs> that is not. Re- I'm sorry. Pretty Woman. Uh, well, I. you know what? I just thought I was having a seizure. Uh, Pretty Woman regains number one at the box office in its sixth week after release, after opening at number one, getting a five-week timeout courtesy of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I thought that was awesome. The, the, this week, like it, it comes out and it is number one at the box office and everyone loves it. And then we talked about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles months back and how it wasn't actually very good even at the time. But like it comes out and just like, nope, Pretty Woman is forgotten about for like a month and another week. And then eventually <laughs> people are like, wait a minute. The Turtles movie isn't very good. Let's go see that Julia Roberts thing. Hey, and look. Then, I was going to say, Julie has a new movie out. It's called Pretty Woman. Let's go see that. And I think it gets like another four or five weeks after that. Yeah, probably. And uh, that soundtrack, good God. I you could not go anywhere without hearing that Roy Orbison had such a comeback on that. Uh, I know. In that I'm year, going, go ninja, go ninja. Oh wait, no, 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 no. You're getting go <laughs> ninja, <laughs> go ninja, go. Uh, TV Falcon Crest airs its final episode and debuted in 1981. I know of Falcon Crest. I know the music because we would it would come on after uh, uh, Night Court, and then after Night Court, my parents were like bed nobody's allowed to watch falcon crest except for them apparently well yeah, yeah I, know, I, I know falcon crest because it was on after dukes of hazard and i always watched dukes of hazard as a kid so yeah, yeah boy was... that crossover episode though was the bomb <laughs> <laughs> so in the mid and early to mid 80s they had those uh like late night soap operas as opposed to the daytime soaps falcon crest dallas i want to say there was one more hotel Ooh, Maybe I, hotel, yeah, hotel, yeah. Dynasty was the other big one. Yeah, Dynasty, that was the it. one I was trying to think of. Yeah. Yes, large shoulders and too much makeup. That's Dynasty. So, and on May 6th, oh, come on, really? Yeah. I'm not this saying... Is, this we is sh- the one I warned you about. I didn't read ahead. I, uh, on May 16th, 1990, Jim Henson passed away. We are not going to joke about this. This is not sure. a funny thing. This is a very sad thing, especially since we just did the Muppet Show show not too long ago. Um, this uh, Jim Henson passing away, honestly, was the only celebrity dying that ever really affected me. Only because he's the only one I wanted to meet. So, yeah, uh, that's I, I was looking for stuff connected to TV, and I was like, yeah, we this this happened this weekend, so we couldn't possibly not talk about it. Yeah, no, but uh that's depressing. You know what the thing is? I'm still angry about the fact that he just didn't go to the damn doctor. But mm-hmm. anyway, I'm not yeah. going to get into that rant. Because yeah. now, if you want to hear that rant, go back and listen to our Muppets show from yeah. a couple weeks ago. I really get into it then. But now we have sport. 
Uh, Dottie Mockery wins the LPGA Crestar Golf Classic. Uh, he, the only reason you knew how to pronounce that last name is because Colin Mockery. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> Colin Mockery. That's the only reason I know how to say that. Exactly. Uh, now, this one, uh, Juventus? Juventus? Juventus. That's... Juventus wins the 19th UEFA Cup in Alvelo. Yes, that's a sports Avelino. thing. Avellino. Yes. So, this... yeah, that's a sports thing. I, I don't know what it means. Yeah. What is UEFA? I think it's a soccer thing, but Juventus sounds like a Greek god came down to to play soccer with everybody. I don't know. Juventus is uh, a team. Oh, so yes. it's not like the Roman god of... No, they tires. are an Italian... <laughs> it's terrible. There actually was a Roman god of tires, just nobody knew what tires were, so they just sort of like, hey, Juventus. Oh, Michelin, yeah. yeah. God. Uh, it's a football club from Spain, or uh, Italy. Okay, so I was right. It is a soccer thing. Yes, it is a soccer thing. So, now, from that awkward transition of sport to things we know about. Yes. <laughs> yeah, without Pat to yeah. educate us on sports, I, I was just using Google. Except for the couple times where we have cricket in there, in which case none of us know what's going on. Um, yeah. Oh, and before you call in, yes, we know that there wasn't an acronym of the week. Uh, normally Pat does this week in, and uh, this time I, I did it. So uh, you don't need to yeah. call in. We, we know that we didn't do an acronym this week. So. Charlie's going to call in anyway. You know that. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, minis. Minis Gaming. Josh has put something in here about the then starting in 1913. Yeah. I mean, from the very old times, people have been using figures to represent military conflicts. And one of the first times that uh, rules were published to do games in this style would have been 1913's publication of Little Wars by H.G. Wells, the famous classical writer nice so i thought that was interesting and now uh they pay respect to little wars uh there's a here in illinois there is a miniatures historical miniatures convention every year i want to say in like march april called little wars oh cool very cool yeah i'm looking at actually if you want uh i'll, I'll put this in the show notes the rules the original rule book for for little wars is in uh project gutenberg Mm. including all the images and the pictures and all that. So it's it's basically let's let's play war in the backyard with uh all your toys but we'll make it um put some rules to it. It's very cool. Uh so yeah, so Minis Gaming. So around around the circle. Let's go hey, let's start with Seth cuz he's new and we'll put him on the spot. <laughs> First Minis game you've played. Oh man. Uh, I actually came to it kind of late. Uh, a lot of my, my childhood was playing games where I desperately wanted minis, but uh, didn't actually have them. Uh, I started out with Dungeon, the, the old TSR board game, where you just move little pawns around. Yeah. Um, and uh, then later on, I, I, I had Talisman, where you know you had little cardboard standees for the characters. And then uh, I saw HeroQuest, and that, that was probably the first one I actually played that had like little miniatures of fantasy characters. Yeah, I think... Um... Hero Quest is probably my my first one with the actual plastic figurines. Mm-hmm. I remember picking that one up. Uh, before that, I, my first one was cardboard stand up uh, BattleTech. Hmm. So, Josh, what about you? Uh, you know, I'm not sure if I got into BattleTech first or if it was actually Blood Bowl, which is a weird way to get into the world of Games Workshop. But uh, I remember seeing the box for Blood Bowl and being fascinated by the concept. 
Like yeah. I played mutant league sports games in like video games. Mm-hmm. And the idea of actually having fantasy football with orcs and dwarves and zombies beating each other up and uh, actually growing in power throughout the season, even though I wasn't really into sports, for some reason, this was something I just needed to play. Yeah. And you guys had a league in college, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's the only way to play it is uh, to play with League. I mean, you could play individual one-off games, but uh, the lasting effect of injuries, player deaths, players gaining experience for touchdowns and whatnot, yeah, over the course of a season, that was what was interesting to me. And I've participated now in four or five different seasons. Very nice. Joel, what about you, man? Uh, For me, I would have to say uh, Hero Quest. Um would be my gateway drug, although I was part of the Blood Bowl League that happened in college. So, um, and, and Hero Quest, I mean, is, I guess, maybe a little bit fringy in some regards, but, you know, it definitely led me down that path and, and ended up, uh, being part of the reason why I painted miniatures for several years, even though I didn't play too much. Oh, that's all right. Now, now that I think about it, I, I actually, Car Wars, I played with the uh, cardboard chits that came with it for a long time, and then we scaled up the rules to play with Hot Wheels cars for a while. So I played that even before Hero Quest. So I don't oh, know nice. if making your own miniatures counts, but sure, yeah. I mean, it, it did with that's what they did with Little Wars. So yeah, but, true. Uh, but uh, so yeah, so we'll start out in the back, back in 1983, uh, which I know, I know this weekend was 1990, but that was our introduction to minis. That's the best thing that we can think of that would uh, work for us. So 1983, Warhammer Fantasy Battle by Games Workshop came out. That was a tabletop game and the origin of the Warhammer Fantasy setting. And they had many different races in them and source books and minis for every single different thing you can want from artillery to archers. Uh, they had humans, which were uh, what, uh, Empire, Bretonian, and Kislev? Yeah, Kislev are like the uh, Nordic kind. No, not Nordic. They're like Russian, Slavic <clears throat> guys in fur hats with like raven totems and stuff. Nice. And then they had three different elves, the dark, high, and wood elves, dwarves, undead, orcs and goblins, and then lizardmen and skaven, the ratmen, and the demonic forces of chaos. And each, uh, the cool thing about it is that you would have each sort of balance in the game according to the, uh, the characters that you had and the different units that you had. So like wood elves, uh, had high powered archers, but didn't have great defense. Uh, Bretonia, which is, you know, a takeoff on Britain, had a huge cavalry but weak infantry, and you know it's um, a lot of yeah, game balance like put into it. Peasants as their basic infantry unit, basically guys with sticks and clubs, maybe some simple spears, but they're all about knights. And when you built your army, you'd have to do so according <coughs> to a bunch of points. Mm-hmm. This game is still around today. I actually, I, I think this is a pretty big year for Warhammer Fantasy. They're doing an apocalypse end of the world scenario where they're going to nuke the world. They're going to take some of the army lists and say, well, these countries were destroyed and they're probably going to relaunch next year because it's one of the big things. Oh, this nice. is one I actually played uh, a bit of. I, I didn't play... I owned a couple of armies, but probably have only completed two or three games. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm, but I mean, it's it's a huge game. I mean, Warhammer and all of Games Workshop's games are so big that, that there are Games Workshop stores dedicated to just that game. You know, mm-hmm. particularly over over in Europe, you know, there are people who will go hang out at the Games Workshop store and paint their armies for a couple of weeks, and then have a tournament, and then start and do it all over again. Yeah, there's a couple a couple of uh, oh, the, yeah. uh, Games Workshop shops out here too. Uh, actually, one not too far from my house, and I'm really been wanting to go in there and take a look around. But I've also got the other side of my brain that goes, "That costs a lot." 
lot of money. <laughs> it oh, yeah. is an expensive yeah. habit. <laughs> we uh, talked about Magic the Gathering being cardboard crack. I, I would say that uh, Games Workshop stuff is more like heroin. Oh, yeah. It's more expensive. Yeah. In some ways, it's a cleaner high. Yeah, but um, yeah. those guys are like, I mean, they're hardcore, man. Those guys are hardcore. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I was talking. The, oh, the first, first time I ever ran into Warhammer was uh, when I started going to Gen Con in college, and, or not in high school, actually. And uh, I just remember walking through the booth where they were selling them and going, like, oh, man, I want all this stuff, but not being able to afford any of it. Yeah. So depressing. Well, that and the uh, the painting. I mean, yeah. Yeah, that was, I think, I remember the one uh, time we were all hanging out with Josh and he was painting. And what, what, what did you say? It's like you were tempted to just take them, put it on the end of a stick, just dip them in the paint. There, it's done. You know, it's yeah. Like, well, it was just funny because like years later, I actually became pretty decent at painting miniatures, although I don't think I ever really got to the point where I enjoyed it. I did get to a point where I was proud of having a well-painted figure. And for the people who worked uh, at the hobby shop where I managed for almost a decade, like I still hang out with a lot of those guys. And by those guys' standards, I'm not much of a miniatures gamer. But I, I was saying in the chat before we got into the show, I realized with all the stuff I've had around the house over that 10-year period, I'm sure I spent into five figures, ten, twelve thousand $12,000 just on various miniatures games over those years. Oh, I'm sure. With I've seen your collections and that sort of thing that you have around there. I'm sure you've got I mean, just like I have, you know, games laying around my house all over the place, I'm sure, you know, you've got minis all over yours. Yeah, well, I'm pretty sure I owned more Warhammer Fantasy armies than I played complete games of Warhammer Fantasy. <laughs> nice. I always liked the Skaven. I think I think one year you got me the uh, Skaven source book to try and uh, tempt me in with your lurid ways, Josh. That could be. Yeah, I like the Skaven because just my, my tactic on that is just going to be I've got a lot of them. Because yeah. <laughs> I think one of the things about Skaven is that they just had a, I mean, it was just pure volume on their fighting style. Yeah, Skaven, Skaven are the Ratmen, right? Yeah. 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 We don't have a lot of power. We don't have a lot of organization, but there is a lot of us. So, we, 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 and I think they had a plague themed uh, siege weapons, like uh, mm -hmm. that might have something that would shoot a ball of disease into the enemy. Yeah. And all sorts of like plague themed <laughs> sorcery. So, uh, 1984, FASA. And Battletech kicks in, uh, wargaming and military Aww. science fiction, uh, game, uh, 1984, acquired by WizKids in 2000 and, uh, owned since 2003 by Tops now. Uh, it's their debut on minis and board gaming, originally named Battle Droids. It was Jordan Wiseman and, uh, L. Ross Babcock III who have, uh, started that game. And this one, just grabbed me by the head and I loved it. I was not able to at, at this time in 84 to afford minis because it was really hard for me to turn to my parents and say, please buy me this. What is it? It's a little robot. Okay. How much is it? $10 in 84. Sure. Got, yeah. I got the look. I mean, they, they, my, my parents were totally behind my gaming. It's just that was really difficult to get by them. So I played with the little cardboard stand-ups and learning about heat sinks and, you know, you're about to overheat, so jump in the water and all that sort of thing. The crazy thing about Battletech is there's like four or five different ways to be way too into this game. Whether you're like into designing your own mechs or whether you're into the fiction, like all of the different factions in the galaxy and how they interact and their politics and how to put together a star formation and how they fight each other. Mm -hmm. Now, was... This the pods were they there? There was Battletech yeah. pods, right? Yeah, down at the yeah. North Pier. Oh, this 
Joel, I remember you playing in the Battletech pod. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Everyone, we had a good time. Yeah. <laughs> I just love, you have this thing where I'm in my Mad Cat, because I always ran the Mad Cat variant three, because I'd studied up, and it had all these missile launchers, and I knew how to alpha strike, and Patrick would be in his Loki, this big walking building of a thing, and we've, we're meeting in the center of battle, and I'm firing missiles at him, and he's trying to punch my guy in the face, and you've got Joel and his Blackhawk that got its leg wound in the first four minutes of the battle, gimping in the background, <laughs> limping in the replay. I'm so, still relevant. <laughs> I tried. It was the funniest thing, because every time you'd have just this massive war encounter, and then Joel's mech limping in the background. Ah! With his gimp leg. Oh, we gotta we gotta do that this year at Gen Con. We didn't do Are it they left. gonna have the pods? Yeah, they've been there every year. Sweet. It's been years since I've been to Gen Con. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. So, uh, did you do you do any uh, BattleTech, uh, Seth? Uh, I didn't actually play the game uh, for much the same reason you did. I couldn't afford the miniatures, but I bought the books and and just read through them because I loved like reading about the mechs. And uh, when I went on a high school trip down to Chicago, um, we actually went down, and I was in the same mall as uh, the uh, BattleTech Center. I was like, oh, oh my god, I totally got to do this! And I signed up, and they said, "All right, we'll get you in in forty five minutes." And that was exactly when our bus was pulling out. Oh. I said, "Screw it, I'm doing it!" And so I went in, and I actually got inside the pod, and my my teacher came and pulled me out of the pod mid game. Oh, <laughs> so I only got locked. yeah, so I only got to play one game until years later. I finally got to play it at Gen Con. Yeah, this is this was a, an often thing. It was either out at North Pier or at uh, Dave and Buster's that we would go play this when they yeah. still had them out there. And at North oh. Pier. Like I played in the first year where all of the various controls inside the pod actually did stuff. Yes. Where you had to use the foot pedals and uh, you could uh, there was one toggle switch for advanced controls. And I actually had the full like 45 page manual that showed what each of the buttons did. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I d- couldn't say that I mastered it, but I got to the point where I was competent with it. And then they changed to the other version, which basically was like everything's controlled with the joystick. I was like, "What?" but this was a skill I acquired that's <laughs> <laughs> not useful anymore. All right. Now on to 87 Blood Bowl. Josh, I'm letting you take this oh one. Oh, my God. Blood Bowl. It's fantasy football for the people that all can only think of fantasy as wizards, elves, orcs, and dragons. Mm-hmm. It was created right. by Jervis Johnson uh, for Games Workshop. Uh, they are now running it under a, a division they call Specialist Games, which is basically outside of their core games, which right now I think are Warhammer Fantasy and 40K. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a parody of American football from British eyes taking the violent way they saw Amer- the way American football was played and making it even more violent and pointless. Uh, it's set in an alternate comedy version of the Warhammer fantasy setting, and each of the races that would ordinarily have a, an army associated with them instead are a team. Uh, I, know, I remember I typically played either Night Elves or later Orcs. Um, Joel, who did you play when you guys were doing the, uh, Oh, I was orcs. I'm, I'm fairly certain that I was orcs and, uh, trying to remember the name of my team, but yeah, and that, that was fun. I don't understand football, but hanging out down in the basement of the, of the, the house with all you guys and, and setting up and playing was always a good time, even though I had no idea what was going on. It was hilarious when uh, Patrick went up against the uh, human team, which all, had all of the characters named after Star Trek characters. <laughs> Pat was playing the undead, 
So he would go after. I remember he killed Captain Kirk and raised him as a zombie and added him to his team roster. That was, <laughs> was the Uki best. plan. Yes, yeah, that explains it. There was a lot of distress then, huh? He was and I, so mad. And I'm just tossing this out here. We've, I think, I know you, Josh, me, and uh, Patrick all have Blood Bowl on Steam. Yes, and I'm and wondering. I still have the the board game. I, I have two Blood Bowl sets in this room. Oh, nice! I've got it on the. Uh, <laughs> One of them might be mine. <laughs> uh, uh, I've got I've got it on my phone too, which is kind of cool because you can play a game on your phone and it actually uh, links up to the uh, Steam version too. Nice, yeah. So, 1987 Warhammer 40k comes out, and much, much, much ridiculous amount of money is made off of Warhammer 40k because it is Games Workshop's uh, dark sci-fi universe. In the grim darkness of the future, there is only war. Yes. Everybody's angry. Everybody's, you know, everybody's just these huge armor. Your shoulders must be at least three feet taller than your head if you're wearing armor in this world. Uh, Created by Rick Priestley. Uh, companion to Warhammer Fantasy Battle, uh, shared a lot of the uh, mechanics, but um, they've had a lot of expansions for this, a lot of re-releases of the rules, and I really, really, really want to play this game, but I really, really, really want to eat, and I really, <laughs> really, really want to sleep, because I know if I go in there, and there's been times where I've gone into like the the game store, uh, Drakstar Games, right here by my house, gone in, looked at the boxes, and been like, oh, that's so cool, and I actually, here's some, here's my my dirty secret i have a warhammer 40k starter set that was given to all of us when i worked for wizards back in uh 2001 2000 right around 2001, there 2001 that would have been dark eldar versus space marines maybe it was, it was the big box they was, yeah they re-released the big box every three or four years okay so i think that was probably that's probably it and i will tell you i opened it i've read the rules i've looked at everything and they're still sitting there unpainted because I just can't. I I know it's like it's like having a box of like you said a box of heroin sitting in my basement, just calling to me every time I walk past it. Going just try just just put the my brush in. God. But the but the figures are so cool. I mean Warhammer 40k was what finally lured me into buying metal figurines. Even though I, I can't paint worth a damn, but the figures were so cool. When I was in college, I couldn't resist just buying a box just to have the little guys. Oh yeah, and that's the I mean that rule that you know if you're gonna if you're gonna fight full in war, you got to have your characters. Painted, which makes sense, but I mean it's that whole time of painting, yeah. and and you know there's a there is a game that I have now that I got for Christmas last year, and it's still sitting unassembled and unpainted, and except it's a like I forgot the name, but it's like a more of an anime style. Uh, uh, Super Dungeon, Super Dungeon Explorer? Explorer. Yes, I've got the Super Dungeon Explorer game sitting upstairs on my book bookshelf, going paint me. And every year I go to the con. You know, so last year at Gen Con, I was like, oh, look at all these cool minis, and taking the time to do it, and I want to do it so bad. But then it's like I also don't want to stick that needle in. Sure, I mean, well, and if you ever get around to Super Dungeon Explorer, they just recently did a pure co-op variant with a new expansion, and I've played it, and it's a hell of a lot of fun. Cool. But yeah, um, War- Warhammer 40k still running strong. I mean, yeah. it's it is. If you go, isn't, oh, go ahead. Isn't there a movie in production now? Finally, <clears throat> oh, there's been a couple. I think. Let's like see. Full on movie. I know there was like there. Were, I thought. Well, well they did one in two, 2010. It was a direct DVD release. It was a uh, CGI, like completely CGI movie. Um, 
And yeah, I think that's the only film, but I, th- I think it's called Ultramarines the movie. Yeah. Um, I, oh, I see, I swear I, that there's a, uh, another live, there's a live action one. They may be working on one now, but, uh, that's, that's the one that has been completed. Uh, this is a game that I had two separate armies for. I worked on a couple of others, but the two complete armies I had when third edition came out, which was in 1998, uh, and it would have covered like 98 to 2003, 2004. So that's why I'm placing your uh, box set is probably the one I got started on. Okay. Uh, people love space Marines, but they didn't know about like, what's this dark Eldar thing. And I remember how much I liked playing dark elves in blood bowl. I'm like, well, if you don't want your dark Eldar, you could just give me those guys. I'll throw you a couple bucks for them. (laughs) Oh, I got so many regiments of dark Eldar and that was my first army. I still have most of the basic guys painted and whatnot, but like some of the metal figures, pieces have fallen off and the dark Eldar vehicles had this like curvy spiky thing going. So most of them broke over the last 10 years. But then I saw the Necrons, and the Necrons are a cross between the T-800 and Undead. They're like these robots that look like skeletons. They're tough as space marines, but you shoot them down, and then they rise from the grave again. And they've got this cool Egyptian thing going on. Like their big transport vehicle is a giant pyramid. Neat. And yeah, I've still got the pyramid. I've still got most of, like, all my plastics for Necrons are still painted with, like, uh, silver uh, inked with, like, a sky blue. So they've got this weird gunmetal thing going. And I painted all their guns to look like they were dredged up out of the sands. And they're this, like, beaten up bronze, but with this cool, like, light green for the energy cylinders. Yeah, I love that army. All right. So 1990. Hero Quest comes out by Milton Bradley. It's an adventure board game created by them and uh, in conjunction with Games Workshop and based on Warhammer Fantasy uh, Universe. We played the hell out of this game at home. This was just the, I mean, just uh, for for seeing so many of these games going by when we would go to the game store and seeing Blood Bowl and seeing 40K and Battletech and all this and being able to look at a box and say, this is a $30 game and we can buy this and play a minis game at home. And it was, I still have my copy down here and have actually found whenever I, if I go uh, Goodwillin' and I see a, a Hero Quest box sitting off into the uh, game section, I always buy it to make sure I have backup pieces. Because you never know when you may need another whip-wielding demon floating around. <laughs> so, hero quest for you guys? Uh, yeah, like I like I said, I started playing board games with Dungeon, which had a really cool little dungeon map that you move pawns around on. But it was basically just the same dungeon crawl every time, pretty stupid mechanics. And then moved on to Talisman, which uh, had really fun kind of quest mechanics, but the game was kind of simple and it was pretty random. Um, and then uh, a friend's friend had hero quest, and that just totally blew our minds because it was... You know, like D&D, except a cool little miniatures board game where you could go in and have your quest through the dungeon, and then you could play through a different quest. And, mm-hmm. and just amazing miniatures. You know, all the little dungeon pieces you can get with it. And um, I, I still remember the dwarf figure. I, oh, I Really get another one of those someday. <laughs> yeah, little dwarf, and he had little rack of weapons and the crypt yeah. and all that stuff. Um, 
and there's still people are if you if you still have a game if you can get a hold of one people are still writing adventures for it so you can go online and download a whole bunch of new you know like maps and that sort of thing to play on it too so in fact they have several of them work kind of like like baby uh descent where you can you've got the whole uh you know storyline going over you know one you know uh, every time you play the game so josh what about you new hero quest uh, you know I've played Hero Quest once. What? And I, here's the thing. That's it. Is shortly after discovering Hero Quest, I discovered Warhammer Quest, which we're about to talk about. And the biggest difference between the two games is Hero Quest had someone playing the dungeon had to be dungeon master. Warhammer Quest was a pure co-op experience, and it might have been my first co-op board game, and it blew my mind. Like once I discovered Warhammer Quest, I found it difficult to go back to Hero Quest. Really. So let's yeah. let's step right onto that thing because I mean all everyone's going to be familiar with uh, with um, Hero Quest. So tell me about tell me why I should go pick up uh, find why, why should I find Warhammer Quest? Oh, well, right. if if you <clears throat> could find a complete set of Warhammer Quest with all the expansions, it would cost about as much as a new car. Well, let me just put that out there because oh, it was in a much smaller print run than the more famous Hero Quest. But the cool thing is is you picked your objective room. There, the basic set came with six objective rooms. So you'd roll a d6 to see which one you're going to have as your final boss encounter room. And then you'd go to the chart for that objective room and you'd roll a die again. It would tell you which adventure you were on. And there would be special conditions for beating the adventure. And you'd put together the deck. And the deck would have the objective room somewhere in the bottom half of the deck. And uh, on the top of the deck would be various corridors and rooms where you would have encounters. And everyone would enter the dungeon and you'd go through a door and you'd flip the card and it would tell you which room you're going to go in. And you're like, okay, we have our encounter. Spawn some monsters. You kill the monsters, you draw a treasure card. So at no point did someone have to take the role of a game master. Now, this did mean that sometimes you would get randomly screwed by random encounters coming up and having like way too many monsters to need to fight. But that was kind of the fun of it is like, okay, we finally got our gold and we get to keep our stuff and our party's getting stronger. And then you get to the adventure book where in between adventures that you survive, you want to travel to town. You have to encounter several hazards along the way. And the hazards could be things where you have to make a decision and you could get a reward if you choose correctly or just bad things could happen to you. And then when you go to town, different events can happen to you and you can go shopping at the different buildings in the town. And the story naturally built itself that way. I actually have a near complete set. I'm missing a couple of the miniatures that got lost over the years, but I do have like the basic Warhammer quest complete a couple of i think i'm missing two or three of the character packs uh one of the rare ones was the bretonian knight and i never have had him and i lost the pit fighter at some point over the years and i have both of the expansions there's an undead expansion called catacombs of terror and an orc expansion called lair of the orc lord and i still have all of the books and pieces for that i'm missing a couple of the miniatures across those two sets well i just looked it up on ebay and you are right oh yeah it's super expensive expensive. (laughs) oh my god because it is loved by those who have played it and it's very hard to get a hold of yeah it looks like there's not a lot on there it looks like once people have it they're not letting it go yeah so well all right that's not something i'm gonna get into anyway so (laughs) 
19. I'll, yeah, sometime you'll come over, we'll, we'll bust out the set. Sarah nice. and I occasionally play it. Nice, because that, like, that sounds like a lot of fun. Um, now, next up is Mordheim, City of the Damned, 1999 by Games Workshop, another tabletop game. Uh, skirmish variant on Warhammer Fantasy, but also set up as Warbands, uh, designed by Alessio Cavatore. Alessio Cavatore. Yeah. Alessio Cavatore, Thomas Pinrin, and Rick Priestley. Is there a lot of beavers in this game? Huh? Mike, you said they're in the city of the dam, so I just assume that. Oh my like, god, dude! There was really yeah? in, fr- in front of the guests. <laughs> <laughs> this is why we can't have nice things. <laughs> you made that joke. You clean it up. <laughs> have to rub his nose in it so he'll remember what he did. Um, oh man! So I couldn't help it. So Mordheim is kind of like. Warhammer Quest meets Blood Bowl in that instead of having a team, you've got this little band of like six to ten guys that go into a ruined city and they'll have an objective they have to complete. Sometimes it's just kill the other warband. Sometimes it's you're both going after the treasure that might be in one of the ruined buildings. But just like in uh, Blood Bowl, as you play more sessions, your guys gain experience. Some of them might die. You might find treasure that you can equip with them. And it's got the same kind of pseudo role playing in between sessions thing going on. Nice. And uh, yeah, I want to say I played this game weekly uh, on Thursdays for almost three years. Yeah, I'm looking at the minis right now. I really like the style of them. Looks like a little hooded rat man and there's an orc dressed up as Santa Claus for some reason. Maybe that's weird. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. And they have the whole, looks like they have a whole table done up in in wintertime. So that's kind of strange, but neat. Uh, I think I still have one of the wrecked building and I always played witch hunters. That that was a faction. Oh, nice. So I'm sorry. I'm looking at the, I'm looking at the minis here. That's really cool. Again, and again, another one of those games that I'd love to have the time and essence to play. Um, Seth, have you have you know got any uh, Mordheim? No, I, I I have friends who played it, but I've never played it myself. I'm sorry, I'm I'm actually looking at pictures of the miniatures myself. And, yeah, and <laughs> shiny things for all yeah. of us. Yeah, that's the problem. <laughs> Gamers and shiny things. See, I never had like you know me and and gaming. We we get along, but we're not like close. We're like acquaintances. You friends sure. on gaming. For me, I always loved the miniatures, and I loved painting them, and I loved looking for cool ones to buy. But when it came to actually playing the game, I liked the idea and the concept behind it. But for some reason, I just kind of had a hard time getting into it. Maybe if I found the right game, I'd be like, Mike, you know, the needle goes in. And next thing you know, I'm on the corner doing things I shouldn't be doing for cheeseburgers. (laughs) See, see, for me, it was always the reverse. Like, I I could never find the time to paint the miniatures and and get them right and everything like that. And, you know, bring all the information to play together to play. So, you know, the game that was really going to hook me was we'll talk about it in a bit. Yeah. <clears throat> Which, on that note, are we ready for a break? Uh, yeah, I think we're pretty close. I, I do want to say something. Like, my perspective is kind of in between uh, Joel's and Seth's, whereas I found painting a necessary evil. I really wanted to play the game, but after I finished the first figure I was satisfied with, I was like, I looked at it, and I wasn't happy. I was like, crap. It's like, why did you just say crap? It's because now I'm not going to be satisfied with anybody else's work, and this thing took me like 16 hours. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm half blind. Yeah, so, and if if you're playing like Mordheim, okay, 16 hours, you're talking like 
I don't know, 100 hours to get your warband together. That's that's an investment of time. But you're when you're looking at Warhammer Fantasy or 40K, you put that amount of detail into the 40, 50, 60 figures you might have plus vehicles. Yeah, it's it ends up consuming a good portion of your life, which uh, it's a good thing that I... I'm pretty sure for most of the years I played these games, I wasn't seeing anybody seriously. So I had <laughs> had that extra time. It consumes the time and a good chunk of your living room. I had friends who had, you know, sheets of cardboard with all their armies laid out and they were priming and various stages of painting. And Yeah. Yeah, one at a time I can get behind, but the, the whole idea of doing like that many, yeah, I don't know that I would, especially if they're all like the same guys, you know, like you've got all your, your grunts or whatever and they all look the same or similar. Uh, that would be... Yeah, after a while, painting the same guy over and over again. Um, I don't know if any of you saw on Reddit, there was actually a story about the disappearing roommate, uh, which, go figure, I I figured you guys would get along with that story. Um, (laughs) uh, But apparently these guys lived with a a dude who played uh, Warhammer 40k, and one day he just up and disappeared and was gone without paying his rent for like maybe two weeks. And they went into his room after he had left, and he had left his army behind. Oh. Yeah, fully painted. Like, they said it was maybe six cases worth of stuff. Until one day where he just kind of casually wandered back in uh, to the uh, to the house. I was like, hey, guys, you seen any big black boxes laying around? And they then held his army ransom for the rent. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> They're like, you got one choice. We're like, we, this is what we're going to do. We will melt them if you do not pay the rent. And they said, like, within two days, he had the money. So, wow. Yeah. That would be, I, that would be rough. So, yeah. I wonder how much, like, some of the stuff I've got sitting in boxes is worth. Probably a lot. Yeah. No. I mean, it's, well, it's just like when I went through my magic cards. I'm like, hmm. Yeah. This is a different card. I wonder if, I wonder if, uh, <laughs> I wonder if it's worth anything. I'll take a picture of it and send it to Josh. Josh replies, why isn't that in a sleeve? Yeah, it's like, yeah, get, get that protected now. That's worth a couple of hundred bucks. Yeah, we had two very different experiences when we took our magic decks to be assessed for <laughs> sale. You, you you walked out with enough money to, uh, to... To fund Gen Con and buy two laptops when I got home. <laughs> I, I walked out with $13 and a, a feeling of dissatisfaction in myself. <laughs> In in my defense, Joel, I worked for Wizards long enough that I was able to pick up a lot of the chase cards because they were there. So, I mean, it's, you know, I, ha- I had an unfair advantage. Right. So. I, I mean, if, if I did that with my comic book collection or, or CDs of records and that kind of stuff, maybe. Sure. Or, oh, yeah. You want to talk rare, rare music? You've got me beat. All right. So, so. when we come back, we're going to be talking a little less about Games Workshop and a little bit more about WizKids, Fantasy Flights, some of the companies that weren't even around in the 1980s and 1990s, and uh, talk about uh, where miniatures, games, and gaming have gone since. But Yes. Uh, so let's do that. We'll be back after this break. We are in the now. Minis Gaming Now. And ways to play games now. So this part of the show is going to be a little bit more freeform. The uh, different games that we have on our list here are not necessarily strictly chronologically. 
They're yeah. kind of vaguely chronologically. Yes, because there was a, a a bit of an explosion of minis gaming in the early thousands uh, that showed up at Gen Con and showed up at you know on the uh, game store shelves and uh, made it a little bit easier to get into this game. So the first one we have on the list is uh, Mage Knight and Mage Knight Dungeons by WizKids. Uh, this is a minis game uh, using collectible figures. Whereas instead of normally with uh, the original uh, previous games that we've been talking about, where you would want a uh, Dark Eldar tank, you know, whatever their version of the tank was, you would go to the store, find it, buy it, and then paint it. Uh, this one played more into the um, more into the style of the collectible card games, whereas actually it was a club collectible uh, miniature so you would buy a booster pack of minis and you didn't know what you were about to get so you could open it up and get the equivalent of a black lotus or you could open it up and get a curd ape it's like eating a burrito with josh yes pretty much <laughs> i mean most of these right. figures they were started out with your traditional fantasy swords and sorcery you'd have weird little demons and you'd have orcs and you'd have knights and the thing is, is instead of having to go into a book or a character sheet to find out what your guys did, all of the statistics were on this circular base. And as your guys took damage, you would click the uh, base, I want to say counterclockwise, and the stats would change as they took damage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I was talking in the first half of the show about the things that kind of kept me away from miniatures. You know, I was like, oh, I couldn't afford them. And. Oh, I was no good at painting them. And, um, you know, Mage Knight was the game that like solved all those problems in one fell swoop for me where they, ke- <laughs> they came pre-painted and they were plastic. So they're a little bit cheaper. And, you know, the fact that all the rules were kind of right there on the base. And I love the fact that they kind of changed, you know, they, they might take damage, but sometimes that just made them cooler. And it, that, that was the game that finally sucked me in where I started buying boosters and finding friends to play with and trade so we could collect our favorite factions and. Yeah, that, now that, he lives on the street. <laughs> uh, no, it, it was worse. I went to work for the company, so yeah, <laughs> I became a dealer. Yeah, when these when these started rolling out, that's when I was actually working for Wizards in their uh, a couple of their retail stores I managed. And when they these things launched, everyone's kind of like, "We'll open up." Well, we'll just open up a box and see what that. These are so cool. You know, and then we had like battles going on between, uh, you know, the different stores that we worked at. And you would, you know, after we would close, we'd throw out the tables and place them before we went home. Uh, just a lot of fun. And the fact that the, all the rule setting, it's like the anti, um, uh, advanced squad leader. Okay. Yeah. I could see you know, that. Where, if you, mm-hmm. if you were to take, you know, if you, if you know, if anybody out there knows advanced squad leader, you've got that five-inch thick three-ring binder for just the basic rules, and then you add on to that, whereas on the other scale is Mage Knight and Mage Knight Dungeons that have all the rules that are on in each individual character so that way you don't have to keep look, referring to the book, and it kind of almost uh, follows the rules for you. Yeah, and I, Dungeons was kind of my thing. Like, I played Mage Knight, but one of the things I found frustrating is I'd get into these situations where whoever moved into range, whether that was uh, the opponent had an archer with a ranged power, or I moved into base-to-base with your melee guy first, like, my moving into your range meant I was taking a whack, and all of a sudden I've put myself into a position where unless I can hit you back with a more powerful figure... I, I've just weakened my army. 
and dungeons had the combination of reaching back towards D&D where you have the traps and the little plastic treasure chests that have random dials for what you find inside. But they also kind of fixed my nagging problem with the game, which was if I move in range of your abilities first, I probably lose by allowing you to sacrifice movement points to do stuff, whether that's open a treasure chest or attack a guy. And so that was one that I played a lot, and I ended up buying all of the 3D terrain. I've got the 3D traps collection. I've got all these puzzle piece dungeon sections that you can put together to make rooms and like doors that you can hook on. Oh, those, those treasure chests were so cool, though, where you know they had the one clicker on the top before you opened it to see, like, oh, man, what trap is in here, and can I beat it? And then once you opened it, you click it again to see what the treasure was. And yeah. Mm. So cool. Now I'm interested. Oh, just wait when we get you to the con, Joel. <laughs> just wait. Uh, I mean, because it's so easy to get into this now because you really, to have to have a good game of this, you do not need a bunch of rares. You don't mm-hmm. need the rare rare pieces. You can actually go to some of the uh, in some of the tables at the dealer hall, and they will have a giant Tupperware container full of these minis, and it's like five bucks for a handful. Well, and, and you know me, when <clears throat> I, I tend to uh, gravitate towards the odds and ends that people don't want, and make those my, you know. Oh yeah, yeah, and this is, this would be totally. I mean, in fact, honestly, we could we could go there and spend you know, 10, 15 bucks and have a great afternoon playing these games. <laughs> All right. Deal. We're in. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and after that, they said, well, this whole fantasy thing works cool. What else is something that people like? And they said, people love superheroes. Now, Seth, I hear you have a little bit to do with this. Uh, a, a little bit. Um, yeah. <laughs> although, although not, I, I certainly didn't instigate it. Uh, I was still just a player. Uh, playing Mage Knight when Heroclix came out, and that 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 was the heroine for me because I mean I've always loved comic books and superheroes, and when I think um, Hypertime DC Hypertime was the first one to come out, and ah oh, I, I bought a ton of that, and mm-hmm. then Marvel sets started coming out. And you can play DC and Marvel characters against each other and with each other. Like I loved that game, and yeah. uh, a friend of mine was actually working at WizKids at uh, that point, and they said, oh we're uh, looking to hire someone to come in and work for us. I said, oh can I work on Heroclix? They said. Uh, unfortunately, no, that's what I'm working on. So that was my, my friend, John Lighthizer. Um, but they, I did get the job and actually I went and designed Mage Knight for a couple of years and I designed a bunch of expansions for that. And, uh, then John had moved on to other things. So I got to move over and, uh, be designer on Heroclix for four or five years, I guess. And then I continued freelancing as a Heroclix designer after I left the company. So yeah, you have quite the, uh, quite the resume on all the different, uh, uh, you know expansions that you've worked on um my favorite was the uh independent gamer in uh the indie comics heroes the indie hero click stuff yeah yeah that one when you can get uh oh here we go ready ready joel when you could play a game and control hellboy out there on the on the field and have him fighting superman Uh that's fun I've got I've got a box of the uh indie hero clicks over over here in my in my game cabinet um just the and the thing is, once you got into the hero clicks and dropped into the Marvel and DC and uh, Street Fighter, Gears of War, Halo, and all those different characters, mm-hmm. is that there's no end to it. You you can't. I mean, I see every year at the con whatever the special hero clicks is like the one year that they had Fing Fang Foom. Uh, yeah, that was, that was one of the ones I designed. 
Really? Nice. Yeah. nice. That's that guy. That guy is awesome. I mean, just this, just to have to be able to have this game, and you know, because they, Joel. I mean, have you seen like Fing Fang Foom and uh, like Galactus? Well, no, but I I saw the Hero Clicks um, at, at Gen Con last year. I was wandering around and and ended up in one of the the dealers, and I was eyeballing them, going, "Man, this looks kind of cool." But I had no idea what it was until you described it to me now. So yeah. Well, the cool thing about the characters is that they're to scale. So, like when you have the atom, I've got a, I've got uh, one of him, and it's just the disc. It's it's complete. There's nothing on it, right? Because he because he's the atom. Whereas <laughs> I actually have sitting next to my computer now on on the shelf that has my router and my cable modem. I've got the first Galactus from the Gamma Trade Show. I want to say it was two thousand four. Mm-hmm. Yep, that sounds about right. Uh, and yeah, like I was really big into those first couple Marvel sets, Infinity Challenge, Clobber in Time, and Explosion. And so figures are from there, but they're all in a box. But Galactus occupies his spot on a shelf, and you can put a normal heroic sized figure into Galactus's hand, and the entire dial fits into his outstretched hand. And his own dial is this huge thing on his face. It's like a frisbee. Yeah, yeah those, those big giant figures are so cool. Let's see, we did um, Galactus a couple times, actually. Um, we did the Spectre from DC, Fin Fang Foom, uh, Starro. Oh, wow. Uh, who am I forgetting? Oh, the Anti-Monitor. Um, there was the one uh, that I did not get, the uh, special Jean Grey Phoenix mm-hmm, mm-hmm. big size figure. Uh, oh. A couple different Sentinels from uh, X-Men. Nice. So. That and, a lo- and a lot of fun little novelty figures. I remember um, you, you mentioned the Atom that's just the disc. Uh, another thing that, that we had put out were some terrain pieces, effectively, for Heroclix that were just kind of, you know, oh, here's a mailbox, and here's a dumpster, and here's other things you might pick up and hit supervillains with. Um, we actually took the mailbox and mounted it on a base and painted it like Plastic Man one year, so you could uh, have your little Plastic Man mailbox figure, which I thought was pretty awesome. <laughs> nice. nice. Yeah. So... But yeah, and and this is still going. I mean, it's this was brought into so many different styles of clicky. I guess is that the phrase now? Clicky fighters, clicks games, click system. I think is the the brand they use for all of them. But yeah, yeah, and it's it's really is. I think a great way to get people into gaming. I mean, again, with the whole cost thing being prohibitive, with you know, if you want to do forty k, you know, go get a loan. Um, hero clicks. I mean, if you're just playing to have fun, you can do like, you know, we were just talking about, just go in there, find a, you know, find a place that's selling singles and, you know, just start from there, grab a, grab a base set and go on and uh, play from there. And it's, I think it's a great idea. I love, I love the hero click system. And I think it's a, you know, that's a, a great entry yeah. way, entry drug. Well, and it's really standing on the shoulders of kind of Mage Knight and, and all the games that WizKids put out before it, where, you know, it's, it's, taken a lot of the same concepts and really kind of evolved and refined them over the years to the point where they have a, a really cool game where it has a, a lot of really cool options built into it. Nice. So next up, we've got Descent. I, yeah. It just came out with its new edition like last year, too. Uh, about three years back now. Oh, 2012. Okay, I see that. Yeah, Descent is kind of the natural progression of the HeroQuest Warhammer Quest, although it is more like HeroQuest in that someone has to play the Dungeon Master. 
Uh, this was based off a fantasy flight system that they first came out with the Doom board game was uh, the first one where they had this questing thing where you had monsters in several different colors that the uh, bad guy player could spawn and they had strict rules. They get a certain number of points per turn to spawn threats and they're actually trying to kill you. That's not like your dungeon master who has a responsibility to make the game fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, no, no. I've, I've played Descent with Dungeon Master or Overlords, I guess is their name. Overlords yeah. who want to win against the players. So. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I've I got a first edition set from yeah. 2005. I have I have one of those two sitting down here, and again, it's one of those I you know trying to play it, want to play it, don't have the time to play it, but I you know I've got some, again getting some of the uh, some of the friends in on it nearby and to uh, sit down and start this thing rolling. It can be really fun. A group of friends and I played a uh, campaign where we did a number of different adventures and you can actually, I think with the second edition, you can actually level up your characters. It's, it's very cool and actually plays very well. Uh, recently, uh, based on the same system, uh, I've gotten into, this is one that wasn't in the show notes, but here's a decent place to talk about. They're doing a star Wars version of this now called Imperial assault. What? It is so much fun where you've got like the Bothan sniper You've got the female Jedi, the Wookiee, and uh, the Imperial player has specializations that they play. And uh, I, more Monday nights, I typically play board games. And uh, our Imperial player specializes in, like, stormtroopers and Imperial tactics. And as win or lose, both sides improve. You get credits to buy new stuff. You get... Uh, experience points to buy cards that will give your guys new powers. It's been a heck of a lot of fun. And uh, I think we just suffered our first loss on uh, we played for May the 4th. We played a game of Imperial Assault and the the heroes finally failed. Nice. That sounds like, again, sounds like something I'd like to to get in on. Um, Confrontation? Okay. Confrontation was a game that had these awesome twisted dark fantasy miniatures and it was by this company called Rackham and their whole first edition like you'd see these things at the big cons that had stuff from overseas and you'd be like how do I play this game and the first edition is like well do you speak French (laughs) no how about German because the first edition didn't actually have English rules uh oh but the miniatures were so awesome. But like all the stats were for each figure or uh, unit in confrontation were on these cards. So when they made the second edition, they made them in English. And it reminded me of a little bit of Mordheim uh, with a little bit more of a dark fantasy, almost like 40K meets Warhammer fantasy going on. All these spindly undead, one wearing a top hat with a tattered cloak, and they had these werewolf figures that are just these giant beastly things. And for each spell, for each tactic, and each guy, you had a card that on one side would have the artistic representation of the figure, and on the other side would have what the guy could do. And it was a heck of a lot of fun. And unfortunately, Rackham is not a, a company that survived the glut of all the companies that tried to make these sorts of games in the mid-2000s. 
But huh. it was a big enough game for a few years that they actually made a computerized version that's available on Steam. So the game survives in a sort of a way. I'm looking at one of the armies, and they have this like insectoid-type look to them. For the, uh, I don't even know what these are. Alchemists of Durs? Oh, yeah. They're like these twisted techno-priests who like breathed plague and lived in a sandy area. I only played like two or three games because I, I played with like an undead group against uh, like everybody else was playing werewolves because the werewolf figures were so badass looking. <laughs> and I actually right. had a zombie werewolf as like my big guy in my undead force. Very cool. I'm liking these. These the style of these miniatures is very sweet. I mean, the all like these these uh, alchemists of Durs, They all have these like gas masks on with the glowing eyes and hypodermic needles on their belts instead of like vials and stuff. Very neat. All right. Uh, da, 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 War Machine. Oh, I so want to get into this. This is so up my alley. I love these miniatures, just the way they look, and they've got that whole retro uh, turn of the century space space marine type thing that they have going on with this is so cool. Oh, yeah, it's ste- steampunky influence. And, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like BattleTech meets the Iron Giant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It really is, and they these. I mean, like, I, one of the things I again I like to do is when I go to. Um, Go to the con. I like to look at the uh, the painting com- competitions that they have for these guys. And War Machine always seems to have at least a you know, half a dozen to a dozen uh, minis in the competition because because their characters and the minis are so well made and have so much nice uh, um, just detail to them. Yeah, I think the best figure I ever painted was a steam jack for uh, War Machine that if I can find it, I'll take a picture of it and put it up on the Facebook page so you guys can see it. I was very proud of the this giant red hulking uh, the fig, uh, faction I played was Kador, which are these Russian guys that have these massive jacks and it was standing on a field of snow with a half buried skeleton. I like took a Warhammer uh, skeleton and buried him in the snow like did the base all special for this one figure nice so yeah i'll see if i can find it and take a picture of it awesome so uh seth have you played this one at all war machine yeah i've played a few times Uh, i have a a bunch of friends who work over privateer and so they're they're obviously really into the game and i got to go over and play with them and it's it's pretty cool it's a lot of fun um you know it's got again one of those problems where you know i i can't paint either in skill or time. So I haven't played that much, but oh, they're, they're beautiful. And I, I've actually bought a few figures just to have and look at. <laughs> now I'm, I'm looking at the pick, the, these, uh, the different characters in this one, the different, the different minis. What am I missing? I'm thinking of maybe thinking of another one where they have like large, like outer space, uh, like spaceships. Also, is this, no, War this is, uh, no spaceships in War Machine, unless it's changed a lot in the last couple of editions. No, no, I don't think. I don't, it has. I don't think so. No, I'm trying. I'm trying to remember that they had like these almost Victorian style uh, spaceships that were battling like outer space battles type of thing. Maybe you're thinking of Battlefleet Gothic. Maybe because that was a Games Workshop like epic Star Destroyer level conflict. 
Okay, maybe I just assume that they were. Here are some pictures, and they're blurry, and that is exactly what I'm looking. I'm thinking about. <laughs> that is Josh that. wins again. Yeah, these are uh, just the space battles. Ones are so cool. Yeah, it's crazy as we talk about this. Like I consider miniatures gaming a fairly small part of my gaming life, but like I, I guess I actually put a lot of time into this over the years. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw up just to show why I think I love this one right below where are we war machine yeah let's drop it right here and put a link in here that has the one of the ships that I think is incredibly awesome in there um and I don't have nearly the right amount of patience to paint something like this either oh wow yeah yeah, that's just, I mean, and, and these things, I just amaze. And one of the things I like to do is when I do go to the, uh, the painting, uh, competitions at Gen Con, you know, get in there with my camera real close and do like a macro shoot of, uh, you know, real close up to the different minis that are there. And then I bring the pictures home and I show them to people. I'm like, yeah, check out this picture. This is this, you know, barbarian, uh, mini. He's holding the axe up and they're like, oh my God, that's so cool. I'm like, yeah, you want to see something even cooler? And then I show the picture zoomed out that the guy is actually only like maybe an inch and a half tall. And just the amount of detail that some of these painters get on these models that make them, I mean, they're, it's crazy. It is. It really yeah. is. It's nuts. And in the meantime, there I am. It's blue. <laughs> it's uh so war machine moving on shadow run duels at whiz kids i think josh and i are the only two of us that have all of these all of them? I, I also have all four you all four <laughs> yeah uh, i think there's more there's more yeah i, was gonna I, say, I, I guess I, I only have four there we go i guess you have more than me i was gonna say i can see six from where i'm seated now all right I stand yeah. corrected. Wow. Yeah, there's, there's, cause I know, well, uh, explanation to those of you who are listening to this and don't see the pictures that we're looking at. Uh, it's another game from, produced by WizKids based on Shadowrun, which, uh, meant that when we, Josh and I saw that, we had to buy it. Yeah. And these, like, instead of being normal miniature size, these guys are full action figure size. And the clicks base that they're on is, Smaller than a dinner plate, but eh, Wait, maybe what? about the size of a saucer. Yeah, yeah. Say about saucer. yeah about they're saucer. Yes, they're like, full size action figures, Joel. <laughs> yes, yeah. And you should and, like, see the, the troll. troll. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the troll is a troll. Is he a fixer? No, he is a mage. A ma- okay, a, a hand that you can take off and replace with a hand that's like bursting into flame. It's clear, like red orange plastic. Yes. Yes, and they've got the um the the, the dwarf rigger. The dwarf rigger uh, is always my favorite. Oh, and I like my I like the um, oh, what's his name? The pre they call him preacher. I think yeah, he's called the uh, the iron preacher, the street S- steel preacher, maybe steel preacher. The guy with the yeah the street uh, samurai. And he's oh, got the, the hat. The, the street deacon. Yeah, street deacon. Street that's deacon. Him. Yeah. And uh, I'm trying to remember the name. There's uh, two figures that were. Uh, female, but I believe that uh, one was a re-sculpt on the head, but they used the same body. One was an Asian yeah. uh, figure. I, I think she was just like a skill-based character, and the other was uh, an elf. Yeah, there was an elf. Um, uh, what was she? She was a uh, not a mage. She was a shaman. That could be, yeah. Yeah. It was an elven shaman. And then they had like the um the face with all the guns. That was like a uh special edition. Yeah. 
And the thing is with these are so cool is you, you put them on the coffee table and you build a city out of cereal boxes and you play Shadowrun with these huge ass just the the these action figures are so cool. <laughs> I just I'm yeah. I'm geeking out thinking about them. It looks like there were two series and my collection looks like I have the entire series 1 and a couple of the series 2. Looks like uh the Elven chick I was talking about is in like a leather bodysuit and she was a re uh re uh, sculpt from a series 1 figure. I've also got Karkov who is a uh street samurai He's got like <laughs> a do rag and a trench coat and a samurai sword and like an eye patch. Yeah. Yeah. There I've are actually got... a couple of these figures I'm missing. Like I don't have the uh dwarf with the viking helmet. And who's the there's like a on Borgy Geek, they geek. They've got the uh the one shaman with the feathers coming out of the side of his head. Yeah, that's another series 2 figure. Oh. Yeah, I was man. just looking at that one. Yeah, then they've got I mean and and the, the other thing that I discovered that you can people can do with these is just put any old action figure on top of it and play it too. So if you leave them with the kids, next thing you know you've got uh Barney and uh not Barney, Barbie standing up on there and uh fighting against other people. But the other I mean just the um other neatness thing about it is the base itself was storage and had all the cookie stuff on there, so you can like pack everything up in the, in the bases, which I thought was a nice little perk. The game was also a little different from some of WizKids' other games, where I remember each piece of equipment plus your base figure gave you certain dice that you had in your pool that you could roll. Yes. But you had to decide. It's like, do I burn all of my uh, dice on an attack, or do I reserve some because my pool is both my attack and my defense? Mm-hmm. So if you like push everything into a hard attack, but don't damage the other character enough, they can hit you back and you don't have as many dice to roll in defense. So there's a bit of a resource management game going on in the actual playing of duels. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot and it uses a full set. Of, there's uh, D6s and four four siders and it uses a whole gamut of uh different types of gaming dice versus just using the clicky bases and the ability to change out the weapons was neat because it's not just a, um, Hey, I've got this weapon now and we're going to pretend he has a weapon. No, when you give your, uh, mob enforcer, a bulletproof vest, there's actually a bulletproof vest in the pack that you can put on him or you change his pistol to a, you know, a Sizer Krupp, you know, whatever uh, pistol it is, and you can put it, actually stick it in his hand so he has a new gun, or they've got, you know, I'm going to drop and take, pick up my sniper rifle on this one. He's got the huge-ass sniper rifle then, so. Right, and obviously some <clears throat> equipment doesn't work so well. You can't take, like, the Yakuza chick's bulletproof vest and put it on the troll street shaman. It just doesn't fit. He could I mean, wear it as a hat. Yeah, I mean, if you want to have a bulletproof <laughs> hat, you're fine. <laughs> well, and, and damage was by section of body, wasn't it? It was like by the, you could either shoot the head or the body. So, you know, a yeah. bulletproof head would be a good thing. <laughs> in the meantime, somebody geeked the elf again. They're squishy. Um, <laughs> uh, and then Saga. I do not know this game, but this was brought up by Seth. Uh, I have friends who are huge into historical minis who are We've done everything but drag me in to play it. Uh, they, they love it. So it's um, a Viking Age a skirmish game where all the factions are historical factions. So you have the, uh, the Vikings and the Welsh and the Normans. Um, you know, no, no elves or, or trolls or orcs or anything like that. 
um, but it has uh, really super cool gameplay. It's not, you know, kind of really simulation advanced squad leader uh, type mechanics. It has uh, special six-sided dice you roll that have symbols on them, and whatever symbols come up, you can then match to your faction's kind of abilities card and spend those dice to drive uh, various sets of abilities. It's a really cool little game. Very so nice. I've, I've watched a number of matches, and I, I really want to play it. Oh, yeah. I'm looking at the dice right now. It looks like the uh, like the Nordics ones have actually have uh, Viking runes on them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, very cool. And, and the minis are, they come unpainted, unfortunately, I think, but they're, uh, they're, they're beautiful. They're very, very cool minis. Yeah, oh, look, yeah. These look really cool. Yeah. Uh, oh, they got the Crusaders. Yeah. Uh-oh. Pagan Roos, like as a Crusader Kings 2 guy, I'm just going to close this tab and forget I ever saw this. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, last year, Gollum Arcana by Hairbrain Schemes was released at Gen Con. And this is a new step in uh, gaming and has brought the digital age to the tabletop, where this is actually uh, supplemented by uh, iPad and uh, Android uh, apps that go along with it. Yeah, and I actually helped just a little bit with that game. Um, it's something that uh, Jordan Weissman, who founded Hairbrain Schemes and who founded you know, WizKids before that and Fossa before that, he's always had a lot of crazy ideas. And one of the things he always wanted to do was... Um, have a game where you could, where basically like you didn't have to remember all the rules, but you were still playing with physical objects. And he wanted a game where, you know, you and I could play together, but didn't necessarily have to be at the same table. And that's uh, exactly what he's uh, trying to do with Golem Arcana, um, where you, you still buy miniatures that you play with, but all the rules are remembered by, you know, your iPad or your Android device or whatever. And uh, you just tell it what you're doing, and it kind of arbitrates all the rules, and it's very, very cool. Yeah, I saw it being played, and again, it's another one of those uh, standing on the corner, the first one's free. Come on in, try it. You'll like it. Yeah. I I know I'll like it. I know I'll like it very much, and that's the problem. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the minis are really nice. I mean, they're. I mean, that's and that's one of the things that I like about the. Uh, you know, is that the the ability to mod, to mold these things has gotten to the point where they're getting a nice looking and good models is easy. Mm-hmm. You know, and I just, you know, they're just very well put together. And it's a really cool world they've designed. And what I love most about it is, um, you know, Mage Knight had a fantasy world and it told a story. And if you went and played in tournaments, you'd send in your results and that would affect the kind of how the storyline evolved and things like that. Um, with Golem Arcana, that like they're actually getting data on what's happening in each game almost as it happens. That's awesome. And Neat. so they're keeping they're keeping track of that in a database in the background, and they will actively evolve their world based on what people are playing without them even like actively reporting it. So it's it's really cool. So then, like the next time and uh, like next batch comes out, there may be like uh, main characters not being allowed to use it be used anymore because he got killed too many times by the whole cloud. Well, they're they're just starting to um, they're just starting to implement some of that stuff now, and it is starting with kind of events where they're like, ah, yes, you know, play this scenario this weekend, and we'll see which faction gets control of you know this particular thing, and if they do, they get access to this ancient one's abilities. It's oh, neat, it's neat stuff. Yeah, 
Yeah, the figures look really cool. I, I think that we've come a long way from the real early Mage Knight figures where they, some of the – they just had to get through all of these things. So their assembly line painted and like, okay, a little bit got dashed and maybe Doctor Strange's eyes look all co- cockeyed because they were painted real quick. And then you look at these figures and how the pre-painted uh, paint jobs just look so much better now. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Well, and I think that the companies are really good at making miniatures now that will come out of modern production processes and be really detailed and sharp. I mean, it's it's amazing some of the pointy bits and really complex sculpts that come up now where you and it's not one where you have to assemble the figures like you might have had to in the past. Like it's it's one solid, really cool figure. I'm just po- I'm just tossing one up in the uh, in the notes, the uh, sworn collector that I just looked at and he. When you're talking about the detail of them, I'm looking at the giant, it's basically giant armored wing skull face thing. And then you notice there's a little dude sitting on his shoulders controlling him. <laughs> yeah. It's cool. Yeah. The golems are awesome. They're, they're basically like magical mechs. So they all have guys riding on them and in them. It's awesome. Oh, that is very cool. Now, I'm looking, I see they've got movement abilities, attack abilities, passive abilities. Are these stored in the app or on a card? Uh, uh, they're basically stored on the figure itself. So okay. you can see there's the name of the ability and a little symbol next to it. And you have a stylus that comes with the game, almost kind of a magic wand type thing. And you tap that to the figure and it communicates via Bluetooth, I think, back to the app. and says, oh, yep, he's thinking about using that ability. So the app will say, oh, yeah, here's what that ability is, and here's what would you do. And if it's, say, a movement ability, it would say, here are the squares you might possibly be able to move to on the map. And you can look down at the map with all your figures laid out and say, yeah, I think I'm going to move to there. And you move your figure to there. And it, and if huh. you need to roll dice for an attack, it'll help you roll the dice. And it's very cool. So uh, on a on an off, you know, just completely separate conversation, let's say a guy r- wanted to get into this. How much would he have to bring to Gen <laughs> <laughs> Just, Oh, no. Oh, no. It looks so cool. The knights and the ancient ones are so sweet. Oh, man. Boy, yeah, I, I don't know why. God, I should look and see what a starter goes for these days. They, they actually launched via a Kickstarter. Yeah. So, and so I don't know what a starter goes for these days. Oh, looks yeah. like it's... 55 bucks or 80 bucks, 80 bucks, I guess is the, the retail price you can find online for 55. If you shop around, Shit, so. that's reasonable. <laughs> I was just going to say, Mike is going to say that's a, that's reasonable. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> and it's got a magic wand. <laughs> oh man. See, Whoa. This... I've never heard you refer to it as that before. Well, it's cause it's got sparkles. Wait, what are we talking about? Are we talking about the same thing? You just said you got a magic wand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was pretty good. Joe. Erectus I like Patronum. That. I don't know what's <laughs> happening. <laughs> All right, so now in the closing, other games worth mention: Star Wars collectible minis. Yeah, oh. yeah. yeah. These uh, were D twenty based. Yep, I had a bunch of them. I don't. I don't have any of these, but I got. No, what did I get? My crud my uh nephews a couple years ago i got a, a mini uh world war one piloting game it was it was game uh a little planes game i got him something like that uh, wings of war wings of war yeah 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 one of the one of the one of the tables at the con was selling like for 40 bucks and they had like all the uh, starter set and a whole bunch of boosters all packed together into one thing and i'm like hey there's christmas 
So. Yeah, the D20 Star Wars collectible, I have almost every figure from the, that first set, which was classic Star Wars. Nice. I think I was missing a couple of the super rare ones. Like there's a probe droid that I don't have. But yeah, they had all of the stats on little cards and they have like D&D style statistics for them. And you actually roll a D20 to attack <laughs> the way you would with a Pathfinder or D&D character. Yep, and then uh, WizKids also had the constructible mini games. Pirates of the Spanish Main uh, was one of the more popular ones that, and they actually came in booster packs like Magic cards, and you would have these little credit card size thickness uh, pirate Siren. ships. Yeah, yeah, and you'd you'd build them, and the cool thing about it is that you can have a whole flotilla in this little case. Sit them down, get yourself a flat surface, throw it on a couple islands, and you can have a. Uh, a battle because the rules were contained on one card and all the measuring was done on the long and broad sides of the, uh, of the cards that the ship came on. So you'd be able to see how far it could travel. You didn't need any extra stuff except for maybe a couple D6s. And, you know, every and, gamer has one of those in their pocket. Well, and they, they even included little tiny sand sized D6s in yep. all the packs of Pirates of Spanish Mains. Yep. To which I would open the booster and the D6 would just roll away. Yeah. <laughs> I, I moved uh, out of I moved out of an old apartment, and I can't even tell you how many of those I found hiding in various corners. Or I, I just got lost because I looked up horror clicks, and um, oh, I just went down a rabbit hole. Oh my god! Yeah, Joel, yeah. like especially the, the fact that their large scale figure, the first one for horror clicks, was uh, Dread Cthulhu himself. So cool! Yeah. That's going to be your crack if we get you. That's my that. wheelhouse. That's, uh, that Cthulhu was actually sculpted by the same guy who did Fin Fang Foom, uh, Brian Dugas, who actually now works on War Machine. So oh, nice. Beautiful sculpt. It is. Holy crap. I just looked it up. Oh, my God. That's. Oh, that would look beautiful on my desk. Yeah. Did you see they have uh, Hellboy and the whole BPRD? And then there's I, the. Uh, yeah, that was, the, that was a set I designed. It was uh, cross compatible between Hero Clicks and Horror Clicks. Nice. So then we and then we also did uh, Aliens versus Predator. So there are aliens and predators that could run around in both games. I was oh. just looking at that one and drooling. <laughs> See, welcome to the game, Joel. <laughs> oh. one, of the, one of the predators was awesome because he actually had the nuclear weapon that could blow up the entire board if you didn't go over and take him out fast enough. That's awesome. <laughs> All right, I just pulled up the Hellboy one. Oh my god! Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. I know where I'm going when I get to Gen Con. So yeah. <laughs> the last thing I mentioned here is there's I, I refer to attack wing in general, which would refer to X wing, uh, Star Trek attack wing and D&D attack wing as these uh, collectible. Well, they're not collectible because they're not random, but they're these pre painted miniatures of either Star Wars ships for dogfighting or uh, Star Trek ships, including like Borg cubes. And I know they released a Dungeons and Dragons one where you've got both the little guys, mm -hmm. standard fantasy figures, but you've also got dragons. Mm -hmm. And this is one that I've constantly seen it being played, especially when I was uh, working at the last comic shop I was working at. And they tried to get me into it. I'm like, I, I can't play this game because if I play it, I'm going to end up buying an army and my wife will kill me. Welcome to my world. Yeah. <laughs> And they're, and they're putting out some gigantic ships for Star Wars now. You know, they did a, a huge full-scale Carillion Corvette, and I forget if they've announced a Star Destroyer or just threatened to do one. Oh, they oh. did a Star Destroyer, I want to oh. say, six months ago, and it's expensive. But they're so pretty. I, I actually have a Millennium Falcon and a Slave 1 sitting on the shelf right next to me. Oh, wow. 
their movement system is pretty cool too. It's like they've got these rulers that are specifically for attack wing based on what sort of turn your ship can do. You can set these rulers down in front of where you want to move and you just move the ship around the path of the specific ruler. Yeah, it's, it's cool in that it's, it's kind of, it's, it's clearly kind of an evolution of, uh, some of the concepts that went into Wings of War that we mentioned just a few minutes ago, but, you know, it's also got elements of car wars in there and, you know, it kind of, it's definitely kind of the state of the art for, uh, miniatures games. Yeah. And then, uh, speaking of more state of the art, there is a definite trend that we had mentioned a little bit before, um, these miniature games being re-released as PC games. And, uh, on Steam, game workshops have PC versions now. Uh, Blood Bowl has PC, Android, and iPhone versions. Yeah. Talisman has got, uh, mm. its own app now. I- I've got most of them now. Like Mordheim has a-, a game on Steam. Uh, War Machine's got its own game. Even Confrontation's got a, a Steam game now. So I-, I thought this was interesting that you've sort of taken, the whole miniatures and the terrain pieces out of the equation. It's like, well, if you just want to play the game, this is kind of like that. <laughs> yep. And, and, you know, it's, I like having things. <laughs> and it's, it is, I, I like the ability to be able to not have to, you weigh the, I really, really, really want to play this game versus it'll cost me 150 bucks to get an army that's worth fighting with. To, like you said, Josh, my wife will kill me. Yeah, because you have to put it somewhere. Yeah, you have to put it somewhere and you have to bring it home. They go, great, where are you going to put that? Uh, with my other gaming things. That's what we call the basement. It's like, <laughs> so. Well, and and I, I love having the little figures and I love sitting down at a table to play games with my friends, but I, I just moved a few months ago away from my friends and all my gaming groups I've been playing with for 10 years and the lure of those digital games to be able to play online and play with my friends at a distance is really strong. So I, I may be getting into those in a big way in the very near future. Yeah. We actually did that a little bit with uh, me, Josh, and Patrick when we were playing. Um, uh, what, what, what board game were we playing, Josh? I just lost it. Uh, Small World we were doing online. Yeah. Uh, through Steam. Yeah, through Steam. Cool. And on, uh, I was playing it on my Android phone, too. So it's, you know, and I think that's a great trend. I mean, because in all honesty, to be able to get the feel to play of the game, the play of the game, and get that gaming uh, itch taken care of. And then the other cool stuff, like some of them, they make the games where the characters are actually moving, mm-hmm. which is, an, I think it's kind of a nice trade-off, and I don't have to paint them. Yeah. <laughs> Although you do have to watch out for DLC. I know that there was a big uh, hullabaloo about the Warhammer Quest game on Steam having so many pieces of paid DLC. You want this character, it's another $2. You want this pack, it's another $4. Mm-hmm. So sometimes the complete packs are things that like you might find them on a humble bundle and then you want to get all that stuff for that price. But like if you just are like, well, how much money do I have to pay to get all of it today? You could be talking a hundred bucks or more. Yeah. Just to get the computer game version. Where, where the costs can be almost equivalent to actually having the figures, except you don't end up with the figures. So. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, what's the, what's the ratio or the equivalency with the actual pieces versus the digital version? Yeah. So, yeah. So, um, so Seth, uh, we're, I think we're closing up here. You want to give us a little, one more description on, uh, you know, something we should look out for and things coming up on the Titans of Gaming Kickstarter? Sure. Uh, like I said, there's, as of this recording, there's still a couple more weeks to get in on it. 
Uh, if people want to go check it out, uh, I, I made a short URL from the checkout at www.bitly.com slash Titans Kickstarter, all one word. Uh, and it's uh, basically nine and hopefully 12 game designers. If we hit our first stretch goal, we're going to put out uh, a bunch of different games, three a year for three to four years. So if you want to kind of have a subscription where a bunch of cool games will show up at your house once a year, that's something you might want to check out and get in on it. Yeah, so uh, head over to uh, Kickstarter and look up the Titans of Gaming or follow that URL that he just passed out, and uh, it'll be in the show notes. Um, everybody, thanks for listening. Remember, if you want to look up some of our old shows, you can go to iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, and TalkShoe. And if you want to talk to us directly, you can leave us a voicemail at 708-NOW-RAP. That's 708-669-9727. And if you're wondering what we're doing next week on Yeah, tap, what's on tap for next week? Oh. Tina Turner. Oh. No. Mad, we're getting our Mad Max on. Yeah. Oh. I need another hero. Yes. Mad Max and Mad Max Fury Road, which is being released right now yep. as we speak. Yep. Uh, going to get out to the theaters and see that because, in all honesty, I do not think a TV will do it justice if we wait. And this thing is getting bonkers reviews. So I know that frequently when these remakes come out, we'll do the show three, four, six months later. Uh, we all really want to see this one. So this one's going to be unusually timely for this podcast. Yeah. So and then uh, again, Seth, uh, Seth, thanks for being on the show. Oh, and, thanks uh, for having me. It was a lot yeah. of fun. Yeah, and uh, you know, you're more than welcome to come on back again. Got anything else going on or just want to sit and chat? We, you know, uh, doors always open. Awesome. You guys are my kind of people. So I'll be listening right. if I'm not on the show. Sweet. And uh, that's it for this week. And uh, thanks for listening, folks. We'll talk to you later. Bye. You are now leaving the world of Musings of a Geek Podcast Network. Stay geeky, my friends. I think we lost Pat. He's under a couple of sets of blood bowl. <laughs> Sports. There it is. <laughs> All right. Blood well, bowl. Oh, there he is. <laughs> Seth, this is Patrick. He just got back from serving grilled cheeses. <laughs>